You sound sexy. Uh, I feel sexy. You should see me. Does your team need to master AngularJS? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to ours, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by Widgmo 5, a brand new generation of JavaScript controls. A pretty amazing line of HTML5 and JavaScript products for enterprise application development in that Widgmo 5 leverages ECMAScript 5 and each control ships with AngularJS directives. Check out the faster, lighter, and more mobile Widgmo 5. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 26 of the Adventures in Angular podcast. This week on our panel we have John Papa. Hey everybody from sunny Florida. Joe Eames. Hey everybody. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Before we get started, um, I'm just going to mention this. I... I'm swallowing a little bit of pride here, but uh, I have been basically paying for the podcasts that you listen to for a while, and things got a little tight over Christmas, so I'm going to ask you to help us out. The way you can do that is you can go to devchat.tv slash donate, and you can contribute there. Also, if you want to get something back for your dollars other than the podcasts, uh, you can go sign up for JS Remote Conf at jsremoteconf.com. And finally, I am also putting together an ebook and a course on podcasting. So if you're interested in podcasting, go to pickuppodcasting.com. All of that will help support me and through that help support the shows. So I really appreciate everybody listening. I don't have any plans to cancel any of the shows at this point, but things have gotten a little bit tight. So if you could help me out, I'd appreciate it. We also have a special guest this week, and that is Ward Bell. Hello from foggy San Francisco. Foggy, huh? The fog rolled in today. Which is uh, actually, it's kind of a mystical kind of thing. And I hope I'm not as foggy as the weather, but we'll see. Yeah, it's snowy here, right, Joe? Indeed it is. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to kind of give an introduction to testing Angular. So I'm, I'm wondering, where should we start with this? Is there kind of a default stack that people use, or is it just kind of up to the listener? Well, I think you have a lot of choices. By the way, I, we might start by actually talking about why we bother testing at all or wh- how much testing we actually do. Through my company, IdeaBlade, we uh, make Breeze.js, and this is a framework for data access. And we have evolved this in one form or another over a decade. And I can tell you that we have really relied on a, a battery of tasks to help us over these years because we've changed technologies, we've changed our ideas about how to do things, but there's a certain continuity in the functionality, and without those tests, we wouldn't have the confidence we have that as we have evolved it across all these wildly different spaces and these different ideas, that it still is delivering the kind of value and functionality that we thought it would. We wouldn't have that confidence if we just didn't have these thousands of tests. So it's been fundamental in our lives. And more recently, I took a whole bunch of tests that we did for Breeze that were written in QUnit for Knockout and have been redoing them in Angular. And so that's kind of led me down the road to knowing something about Angular testing. I got my start on that by listening to uh, Joe Eames' Pluralsight course on testing. So, Joe, you may want to talk about that. I have a Pluralsight course on testing. (laughs) (laughs) I, I have a couple of courses. I have a course that's just about testing in JavaScript that talks about the different frameworks, QUnit, uh, Mocha, and Jasmine, and then other aspects of testing. And then, of course, my fundamentals course on Angular talks about the basics of testing Angular. 
There are other Pluralsight courses that talk about testing Angular as well. I believe that there's one called Test Driven Development with Angular from Scratch. So there's quite a few resources out there on Pluralsight just for testing with Angular or testing JavaScript in general. And how does testing fit into your day job? Me? Well, as on my m- main day job is an author, so when I'm authoring a course on testing, then it fits in. <laughs> well, I know John, John Papa, you, you know, it's not just a sort of academic interest for you. Testing? No, it's something I loathe to the deepest part of my soul, actually. <laughs> <laughs> now, I do a lot of testing, and honestly, I'm not a big fan of writing tests, and Warden and I have had lots of chats in this in the past, uh, and I think the reason is it's not the tests. It's the time that it takes to actually get to write a test. It's all that setup and garbage that you get to before it. It's the, the friction to get there. Yeah, so reduce it. Well, you and I have talked a lot about how to make testing easier on us so that it becomes a natural part of the development flow. So I have a question really quickly. You know, you guys all write bugs, and I, I get that. You know, I mean, some people do and some people don't. And I don't write bugs, so why, why should I write tests? Well, because you're better than us, so you probably don't need to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like I said, I'm, for me, there are at least three reasons. One is that I find it provides sort of architectural pushback. And what I mean by that is when I'm writing a piece of code and I'm kind of going along with the test to sort of figure out what it does, and I'm not talking about TDD here, I'm just sort of talking about test soon development. If I can't test it really easily, then I that's a really good indicator that my architecture is not too good, uh, that I haven't really designed it very well. So I find it, first of all, to be a great check on whether I've laid the thing out properly and, and have an API to whatever it is I'm writing that I I like. So I think it's great there, even if you never use it for anything else. I talked about earlier about how critical it is for us in catching regressions, particularly as we rapidly evolve our our application or our, our, our library called Breeze, because, you know, we want to have the freedom to be able to to jack that, or not jack it around, but you know what I mean, to, to, to sort of a, a stretch it, add new features, change the implementation because it wasn't as good as we wanted it to be. And without those um, tests sort of hemming it in, we wouldn't be confident that um, we weren't breaking things in the process. And indeed, one of the things you find out as you begin to change things is your tests start to fail. And now you you realize what you did wrong before you've inflicted that on your uh, your users. So it's been helpful that way. So that's the second way. And the third way is it's a, it's been a great way to convey to others and to myself almost, what the heck it is that that component is capable of doing and, uh, and what the constraints are and the limitations on that. So I don't just ask that it works. I throw things at it that I think will go wrong, that will typically go wrong, so that I can see what the behaviors of the component will be in, in the what are currently corner cases but will are surely to arise. So those are three forces that make me test, and maybe they are forces that would make you test, even though you notice that I, well, in one case I was talking about bugs, but for the most part I'm not talking about bugs, I'm talking about design and communication. I was going to say, I mean, that that last point for me is that, you know, I just assume that the other guy working on the code is an idiot. Of course, that other guy, 99% of the time, is me, and, you know. So are you usually right in your assumption? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) In a lot of cases, I mean, that's why I write tests. (laughs) Is that I write the code or, and then I write the test. Sometimes I write the code before I, or write the test before I write the code. But in either case, a lot of times what I find out is that, okay, now that I've written this and I've got a test on it, I've learned something and I know that there are places where I can improve. And so the refactoring goes more smoothly. 
once I have the test in place because I know it works, or at least I know that the case that I am pushing through the test works, and then I can start to flesh that out and make sure that it does exactly what it's supposed to under all conditions that I think it could hit. Yeah, I think one of the places I like to use tests the most are, again, not for bugs, but for communication. So a lot of times I work with a lot of developers who have to read someone else's code. And sometimes they read readme files, and sometimes they read the code itself. But other people like to actually look at the test for, how do I use this thing? And the test often can be a great way of self-documenting. This is how this API is intended to use and how it's intended to work. And also, here's cases where that you can use this API and, it'll, and it won't work because you're passing the wrong data because those are your failure test cases. And then the, the other side of that is just making sure, you know, the standard old something went live, we made an enhancement to it, and we made that enhancement. Now we have a full suite of regression tests to make sure we didn't break anything else in the process. So those are the two big reasons I like to have tests in place. And to be quite honest with you, that case doesn't happen to me as much as somebody's coding something and while they're writing the test, they've already coded it. They're not doing tests first, doing tests during development. Somebody codes the thing up. They think they're done. Then they write a test and realize, uh-oh, this thing didn't actually do everything I thought it was going to do. I better refine this now. So it's actually before it ever goes to production, we're finding some of the issues. We have a rule around our shop, too, which is we're not to like get the 100% coverage, but we do have this rule, which is that when somebody finds a bug, we have to test the bugs, you know, surround it with a test that reveals the bug, and only then are we allowed to fix it. And that's just a rule around the shop, and so it's amazing how we have accumulated a good battery of tests just by following that rule. Now, John and Ward, are neither of you guys TDDers, then? Nope. Nope, not at all. I'm a test-during-development guy. I do use TDD in spot cases. Like the other day, I actually did use something that approximated TDD, and that was when I didn't understand the problem. Usually when I'm writing code, I pretty much am banging it out, and I know what I'm doing. But there are occasions when I've got something that is just so mind-bending that I can't keep track of what's going on unless I write the test essentially first to sort of say, well, this is what it's supposed to do. Now let me see if I can implement it to do it. I found, though, Ward, that in a lot of cases... Unless it's something I've done over and over and over and over and over again, I need that level of exploration. And so I do TDD a whole lot more often than I don't for that reason. And that's fabulous. If you can follow that pattern, that's great. I, I just, I think it may be that I'm too old and that I'm too stuck <laughs> in my ways. Yeah, well, well, as long as it works, right? I mean, ultimately the value that you're providing is working code. And so if you write the test afterward or you write the test beforehand, I don't think that matters as much. What I think matters is that you go through the process of writing working code, uh, you get some tests around it, you figure out where you need to refine the code or refactor the code, and then you move along. Right. And the other reason, one other reason that I like tests, and you kind of implied it with your reasons, Ward, is that because I have the tests and because I have this system that kind of provides checks on what I'm doing, I can actually move ahead with less fear and less double checking of what's going on in the system because it'll tell me when things break. And so I can go in and I can refactor or add new features. And if I go in there and I make a change to something in a way that breaks the assumptions on that code, then I get told. And so then I can make the call as to whether or not those assumptions are no longer valid or whether or not that's something that I need to go back and work out so that all of the assumptions that apply to the code uh, work so far. 
Yeah, that, no, that makes sense. So, so I have a question for all of us. Like, we're talking about tests. It looks like we're all convinced. But I, I don't know about you. I also have a lot of clients, and I can't tell you how many of them tell me. Uh, I say, hey, so you want to know about testing, or do you have tests or something? And they look, and they, and they sort of look at their shoes, and then they say, well, you know, we've been thinking about it, but we don't actually do it. We don't have any. Is that yeah, pretty Dan, much your experience? Uh, Dan Walliner <laughs> and I did a workshop, actually two of them, in December. And in both of those, we had about 150 to 200 people in the room, all gung-ho over Angular. And at one point, testing wasn't part of the curriculum. I said to them, look, we've got an extra hour at the end here. We'll cover anything you want. Who wants to cover testing? One person raised their hand. I'm like, okay, who here understands testing and actually does it at work? Two people raised their hands. It was one of those kind of things where it was like, please don't bring this topic up again. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, uh, it's interesting. I think we all talk about it. And I think a lot of people do it more than they want to admit. But I think it's, there's such a stigma with doing testing for different reasons why it's either hard or budgets get constrained and people don't have time to do it. But Ward, you've done a lot of stuff specifically to make testing easy, you know, to get the friction out of the way. I'm curious if you can explain some of that to some of the people to make this a better story. That's exactly right, because I'm curious about this, too, because we know that it saves our butts. But the customers, you know, you ask about it, and often they'll tell you, well, we tried it for a while, and we ran into two things. One is we spent too much time writing tests and we weren't getting the code out and so our bosses got pissed at us. And the second problem is that we wrote the test, but then they we changed the code and the test started breaking and we didn't have time to go back and fix them, so we started commenting them out and then we didn't trust the test anymore and it was all over and we just quit. Those are the two things, two stories I hear over and over again. And I'm very sympathetic because I've done that to myself. Mm-hmm. And so I've tried to look and sort of say, well, how do I cut those things down? How do I, A, make it really fast to write tests and easy to write tests? And B, how do I write them in such a way that they aren't always breaking on me? And, you know, I think we have some ideas about that. Um there's a motto that you and I have gotten to, John, which is the, which is called like, what's the, uh, Shortest distance to the first it. Now, in order to understand that, you have to understand the test framework. So what we're tending to write our tests in is something called uh, Mocha, and we use uh, Chai Expectations. So when you use Mocha or Jasmine or something like that, the very first test that actually does anything is uh, it. Is you know the, ver- the function verb is it. It does X, it does Y, and so forth. So there's this it verb. And before you can get to that it, that first test, you usually have to set things up. You have to set the conditions for the thing that you're going to test. And that can be lines and lines and lines of code. And often when I see people's bad tests, they've got miles and miles of setup before they ever get to the first test, the first it. And so we've been concentrating a lot on what can you do to keep that distance, that all that setup, uh, reduce it to an absolute minimum so you're not spending all this time setting up and clearing your throat before you actually get to the test. And I, I, that's really where we're focusing. Does that ring true to you guys? I would say for the most part. I'm kind of curious, Chuck, you said you practice a fair amount of TDD, is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And Ward and John, you guys are kind of test, you said test during. Yes. I'm I'm shying away from my, uh, I do have one admission to make, and that is that I typically don't <coughs> test my front-end JavaScript. So this uh, is something that is very interesting to me. And, and I'll tell you what the barrier is for me is that most of the JavaScript frameworks that I use to test my front-end JavaScript, they don't fall in line with the other back-end framework testing stuff. So, you know, I, I go ahead and I run the, the script that runs my tests, and, you know, I get feedback on the command line, 
but I haven't found a great suite of tools that will allow me to do the unit tests at least from the command line that work out nicely. I mean, I can use uh, Selenium, WebDriver, whatever you want to call it, but that takes time. It it doesn't run quickly. And, you know, a lot of the other ones like Jasmine and stuff are designed to run in the browser. And so in order for me to get feedback, I actually have to go look at the page. And, oh, uh, you've got so much to learn. You can't, I can't wait until you take some of our courses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fix me. Go ahead. <laughs> well, just in full disclosure, since 2005, I have been a pretty much 100% TDDer. I read Kent Beck's book and fell in love with the concept of test-driven development, and I became a full-time TDDer. And when I went into JavaScript, that was actually one of the re- things that drew me to the front end was the fact that the front end was new and it was interesting, but almost nobody was testing in the front end and nobody was test driving in the front end. And so I went to the front end to one, figure out how to do it and to show people that it was a valuable practice. And if anybody who's listened to JavaScript Jabber a lot will know this about me, the first time I was on JavaScript Jabber was to talk about testing, but I'm a big fan and a big evangelist for test driven development. And I practiced it 100% in pretty much every JavaScript project that I've written that's been anything other than a toy. When I worked at Tomo here in Salt Lake City, we had an application with 100,000 lines of code of JavaScript. And the kind of the big reason they hired me on was to bring testing into that. And I spent all my time trying to get everybody to test drive their code. So I'm a huge fan of test driving your code. And I feel like that's a superior way to get tests into your code. And I even wrote a big, long article that was on Dr. Dobbs all about why test-driven development is a superior form of doing development. So this would actually be like a... I could give you a grudge match against not just about anybody who says testing is a bad idea, but people who say that test-driven development is not a good idea. So that's kind of cool. How Were you able to spread the gospel uh, throughout Domo and get everybody doing it? Nope. I converted like three of the 20 front-end developers, and for the most part, the rest of them... I mean, I just didn't... I converted everybody that paired with me with any for any significant length of time. And you know, everybody's talking about the DHHs. That's the, I don't even know what his whole name really is, but David, you know, David Meyer Hansen. Well, yeah. I'm a Rails developer, so yeah, I, I know David anyway. Yes. So he just came out strong against TDD and that created yeah. a big fear. So yeah. I'll bet you had, but th- now we can really hijack this show and go down the, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I, I'm, such a good I made several, diet. I made several references to him joking references to that article since that's come out in both this show and the, JavaScript Jabber Show. We've talked about that at length, in fact, a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to kind of divert this back a little bit to some of the tooling. I think Charles brought up a really good point, though, is when you get started, how do you even know what tools are available? Because most of the demos we see out there, like Charles is referring to when you run JavaScript testing, is looking at the tests in a browser. But if you want to just run your tests in terminal to see you know, which ones are automatically failing or passing, or through some kind of test runner tool or do through CI process, what are the options that are available uh, that you've explored that are good or bad, Joe or Ward? What's nice about Angular is it's built from the ground up to be testable. I assume most people that listen to this show know, but maybe not, that when Mishko created Angular, it was his job at Google was to bring testing to other departments. That was his whole main job at Google. And he wrote Angular while it was just a side project, but his focus and his purpose at Google was to take testing to other groups. So he built Angular from the ground up to be testable. So I think one of the great things about Angular is it itself encourages a lot of testing and kind of leads you towards some of the tools. Obviously, Karma is your kind of first step there. And then there are still other missing pieces. You can't just have Karma by itself. There's other missing pieces that you need. 
But since this is a show about Angular, I think it's worth talking about the fact that Angular itself kind of says, hey, testing is, is here. It's easy to do. That's right. a great point. I mean, there's, there's so many players. There's Angular itself and then Angular Mocks, the library that comes with it, to help you mock out the Angular uh, assets or components, if you will. But then there's also things like Karma, which run your tests. And then there's, do you choose Jasmine or Mocha, one of the two, to actually write the tests? And then you've got to do stubbing and mocking at some point. So you might want to choose something like Sign-On or just use what's built into Jasmine. So there's different tools, and I think that's where the cognitive overload comes in because there's so many things you have to look at and understand to make these moving parts work together. Yeah, so, so what we need to do is be able to make it uh, make the runway a little clearer, smoother, and quickly answer, at least give some comfort to questions that like Charles has there. So yes, by the way, Charles, with Karma and the right, you know, out of the box runner, uh, you've got that at the command line and you've got that uh, just playing out in the terminal window and you're not, you're not having to go through a browser. So you can absolutely have tests and watchers going at the same time. So that you're, you know, the tests are just happening automatically and off to the side so you can see the results. Is that what you were looking for? That's definitely part of it. You know, I do the same thing for my Ruby code. I wrote my, I write my backends in, in Rails most of the time, Rails or Sinatra, uh, which are both Ruby frameworks. And, you know, I do the same thing. There are systems that run those. I just haven't, I haven't had an opportunity to figure out how to set that up for JavaScript. And then systems like Jasmine look a lot like RSpec. In fact, mm-hmm. Jasmine was loosely inspired by RSpec in Ruby. So, you know, that's not so much a stretch for me. So, yeah, I, I think that you, uh, a lot of the, if you've been used to testing in some other environments, like you have in Ruby or those of us who have been testing in C Sharp, all of the concepts, all of the, the machinery has a car, there's a corresponding something or other over here in JavaScript. And we just have to show people how that works. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, by the way, Karma is not uh, limited to Angular just for people who know, uh, for example, is being used by the Azure portal people who are writing everything in Knockout. And they use Karma to, to drive the whole thing. So, yeah, you got the machinery is there. We just have to educate the world about how to get to it. So I think one of the things that we're, we're kind of dancing around, too, is once you get your tests set up, you have to have a way to run these and get them moving along. And I don't know how you guys feel, but I personally feel that testing is not complete unless you have its brother, which is a gulp or grunt process to kind of run those. And the reason I think it's important is, yeah, you can go to the command line and run Mocha and start things up or Karma or whatever, but or run it through HTML. But having some kind of a gulper grunt process to actually wire up the tests and run those for you, I find that to be immensely valuable. So that's one of the reasons I love working in WebStorm is the WebStorm will has lots of listeners that it will put in. You can either run Karma within WebStorm to do all that for you so you don't have to get into grunt or gulp. Not that getting into Grunt or Gulp is bad. In fact, I think if you're not doing Grunt or Gulp, that's something that you're missing out on and you should be doing. But I like WebStorm because it kind of eases that pain a little bit and says, hey, you don't need to put together a full-on build process if you want to test. You want to put, want to get Karma running, but you want it inside of your IDE and you don't want to run it for the command line. I like WebStorm for that a lot. Yeah, that's a great point because WebStorm and now Visual Studio recently sports Grunt and Gulp 2 and Karma. So you can or actually not Karma yet, but so you can run those things through those IDEs as a developer. But there's two reasons I kind of link back to Grunt and Gulp, and it depends upon the environment. The shops that I work in, we use literally a dozen different IDEs. So I can't say go use WebStorm, which I'd love to be able to do, because everybody has their own favorite. Some people use Vim, some people use TextMate. 
uh, Sublime, Brackets, WebStorm, Visual Studio, the list goes on and on. So that in itself kind of leads me away from there. But as far as easing into it goes, I love using WebStorm to actually run my tests because I like the visual karma tool. If you're talking about the little runner that it runs down there, that is just, mm-hmm. to me, is, is the best runner, visual runner that's out there today. Uh, and I'm kind of hoping more of those will come out. Totally agree. So that's one, it is an awesome thing about WebStorm. It lets you ease in. So it'll let you start off with just running Karma. And then since it'll run Grunt or Gulp for you, when you need a more full, when you, you want to do more than just run your tests as you change your code, but you actually want to do a more full-on build or you want to get Grunt or Gulp running your tests, and you can switch over. And now you've got Grunt or Gulp running Karma and WebStorm is just running Grunt or Gulp. So it lets you step in incrementally into the process. Right, and you can still hook into CI either way. So a CI process can run Grunt or Gulp, or it can actually run the Karma Runner directly too. So you can still do CI without Grunt or Gulp. I just find it eases it. Yeah, but I think that probably if you're an open-source front-end developer, you're probably not afraid of the CI, but I do feel like a lot of more closed-source back-end developers that are getting into the front-end are probably looking at this thinking, I'm not used to having a command window open all the time, running some important process that's an important part of my development stack, right? Or development I, process. I would agree that that's been my observation. <laughs> so it's nice that Visual Studio and WebStorm have built-in pieces that will do front-end testing for you and let I you think kind that's of... A great point. Great point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think it's awesome because yeah. sometimes you want to test your tests too or you want to debug your tests. And something Ward and I have done is we use Terminal a lot to watch our tests, but as we all know, when a test fails, sometimes you got hundreds of them, thousands of them. When a couple tests fail, it's really hard to scroll through terminal and figure out what the heck went wrong. So that's where a test runner inside of an IDE or doing it in a browser really is helpful. Totally. Yep. So I think you really covered an important point, uh, which is how do I get um, the tooling to help me make my tests easier? And WebStorm is a great choice there. Then there's actually writing the tests. Which is, so Charles, because you're kind of the guinea pig here then for mm-hmm. us. If you had a great tool that was running it for you automatically like that, what's the next reason that sort of keeps you from writing front-end tests? i got three letters for you. D-O-M. Writing unit tests is pretty easy, right? If you're testing some logic, you know, I put this input in, I get this input out, blah, 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 right? It works. It's great. But then when I have tests that I want to run against the DOM, it seems like the major problem there is that I can either write unit tests, which are fast, but then I have to kind of simulate the DOM or put DOM elements on the page that act like the DOM or, you know, have some kind of fake DOM tool. And so I don't have something that looks or feels or acts just like the page that I'm interacting with. And so, you know, I start reaching for acceptance tests, which I like to run on CI. I don't like to run them on my machine because they're not fast. You know, so there's a little bit of disconnect there as far as, okay, how do I know that if I'm testing this directive or testing this three-way or two-way binding, how do I test that it behaves in a particular way and know that it's going to do the same thing on the page when I need it? So that's fascinating because you're describing the kinds of tests that I don't write. Uh, Maybe Joe does, but are we talking about testing single-page applications here? Does it matter? Yeah, I think it does. Because, well, uh, and I'll tell you why I think it does. Because what I'm usually trying to test when I, when I'm writing a single page, I am writing single page applications. And so what I'm usually doing is writing controllers and logic mm-hmm. that, that governs the movement of the application as it's executing on the client. 
And so the code that I tend to write is all about, like, did it show the right thing at the right time? Did it get the right thing at the right time? Did it go to the right place, you know, that I said it should go? Those are the kinds of questions that I'm after because that's the kind of logic I'm writing. And I simply sit back and assume that the bindings are actually going to work. In other words, I don't test the DOM that much because I'm not... I'm letting, I'm saying, you know what, those, those Angular guys, they've figured that out. If I write a controller and it exposes a first name property, then I don't need to test whether the first name is actually showing on screen. That isn't where the lion's share of my testing problem is. The lion's share of my testing problem is, did I have anything to show in the first place? And is it the right thing that I'm going to be showing? So I don't write tests against the DOM unless I'm writing a directive that does DOM manipulation, and I generally stay away from those. So not that I don't think you should know to test them, but I would say it's a small fraction of the kinds of things that I'm testing in a spa. So what's different about my experience and your experience? Well, when you say something to, to the effect of single page app, let me back up a second. And when I'm using Angular, I mean, technically I'm, I'm sort of writing a single page app, but usually I have like a landing page and a login logout page and, you know, maybe one or two other pages that might be static pages that don't fall under the single page app. And then a lot of the other rich functionality where I'm manipulating data, moving things around, clicking different areas on the screen. You know, those are the things that I really care about. And I can see that, yeah, you know, you just assume the bindings work. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, there are things in Rails that I don't test for the same reasons that you just outlined. But let's say that I do write a directive that creates a widget of some kind on the screen. So I am going to need to test that, and it is going to interact with the DOM in particular ways. And I can unit test some of that. But a lot of it is going to come down to how it manipulates the DOM and how it uses the data that's already bound in one way or another to make that widget work. Yeah, I have to agree that those are the harder tests to write. You know, we have recipes for showing, you know, how you can begin to approach testing the kind of widget directives that you're describing uh, without uh, engaging a full on uh, the DOM in a, in a sort of slow, awful way. But ultimately, I guess, you want to do end-to-end -end tests, and I there's separate tooling for that, and I, I I don't consider myself an expert on that. Maybe Joe has something to say about that, because I can just say that on a percentage basis of the code that I write tests for, uh, I have to say DOM-manipulating code represents some less than 5% of the code that I am trying to test. So that's why I, I guess we have very different experiences there. And much of the advice I have for people concerns how they can go after the other, what I call the 95% of my tests, which is usually uh, how do I make sure that these controllers, that Angular controllers I'm writing or their services that I'm writing, and I write a lot of both, how do I make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do? And I can do that without um, actually uh, engaging in the DOM at all. Mm -hmm. Joe, what is your thought about Charles Dilemma? Well, I'm pretty much the same way, you know. If I'm writing Angular code, pretty much the dominate place that I'm doing is inside of a directive. And directives are fairly testable. In fact, they're quite testable. So getting your DOM tested within a directive or getting a directive to test well usually isn't too much of a problem. Now, of course, there are challenges with that. But my biggest thing I spend time on mostly really is what you said. I'm testing my controllers and my services, mocked backend. That's, you know, where the real logic sits at. Yeah, that's okay. where I end up spending most of my time testing. I'm, and I worry a little bit less about the DOM manipulation testing. I kind of feel like if I've tested the ma major cases of DOM manipulation, 
and they're working, then I don't worry so much about the edge cases if I've tested them once or twice manually. I also feel like a lot of the DOM manipulation stuff, uh, I don't spend as much time there either, Joe, and some more time on the logic is because the DOM manipulation stuff for me tends to rise to the top anyway, meaning either through QA or just through general use and development. If a control or directive isn't going to be working the way that it should be, it usually presents itself pretty early and during my own developer testing. Whereas a lot of the logic that's in services and controllers in the back end, like talking down to Node or wherever I'm talking to, that stuff may not surface. And so I have to have tests for that. So I'm not advocating not doing DOM testing, but I do focus a little less heavily on that than I do on uh, all the logic and code. I should say that this we have the same separation, the same set of concerns when I was writing in Silverlight or WPF or one of those other sort of native experiences. And that was what led us in those spaces to have a very strong separation between, well, you know, some kind of MV star pattern. One of the driving forces for that pattern was that you could sort of isolate the parts that were harder to test that involve manipulation of visuals on screen and pixel concerns and things like that in a view, which you could just, if you try and keep all of the logic out of that that you possibly could and rely on a binding framework of some sort to guarantee that you could get to that when you needed to do it so that you could put the lion's share of your focus on the non-visual code that drove it, like a view model or a controller or something like that. That was a motivation for it in that space, and it again has struck me that that's the motivation for that separation when we write single-page apps in JavaScript. And in fact, that's one of the lovely features of Angular is that it is so strong on that separation. For example, we have a running rule that says you don't do DOM manipulation in a controller. The one place where DOM meets JavaScript is in directives. And so we've kind of isolated that whole problem of that interaction, which is, it's not that it's impossible to test, but you have to admit, Joe, it's a little harder to test because you have to do something. And so we've isolated that into directives to do DOM manipulation, leaving the rest of the space blissfully free of DOM interaction so that it's much easier to test. Right. No, I definitely agree with that. Definitely agree with that. All right. Well, we are way past our time. (laughs) (laughs) But this is such an interesting uh, topic, and I, I, I love all the answers I've gotten. And, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll do better testing my JavaScript. But so uh, maybe in a week or two we can, you know, maybe go over which tools to look at or which tools to use. Yeah, I think I think it's a real fertile ground, and we could start having a session where we got down to brass tacks and looked at some, you know, some very specific tool sets and practices. But this was a great, for me, uh, and I hope for listeners, orientation towards the sort of ways in which we uh, encounter testing in our lives. Yep. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do uh, picks and tips and tips and picks. Joe, do you have any announcements about ng-conf before we get too far down the road, though? Yes, we do. We have announced ng-conf extended. ng-conf extended is the opportunity for everybody who did not get a ticket to participate. So... We're looking for volunteers that want to host a location for others to show up. And there is the opportunity for you to get an EnergyConf t-shirt and other things like stickers and be able to watch the conference with other Angularians. So look to the website for more information about that. Be sure that you're uh, subscribed to the newsletter for information about that. And that will be it. That's our big EnergyConf announcement for right now. Awesome. Uh, and then you have a pick and a tip for us? I'm going to start with my tip, which is to test your Angular code. 
the ab- I'll second that. <laughs> <laughs> That's my tip, too. The ability to test your Angular code is the reason I got into Angular. I found Angular that it was testable, and that was why I got into Angular to begin with, was because it was testable. And so you should test your Angular code. So that's my uh, tip. And for my pick, I am going to pick the YouTube channel Working With Lemons, which is a group of people that do real-life versions of Disney music videos. So they have a bunch of cute kids that will act out and sing a real-life Disney musical song, and they have some little kids and some older kids, and they just they just produce a lot of really cute videos, and I think they're really enjoyable to watch. So, Working With Lemons, that's my pick. Awesome. How about you, Ward? Well, let's see. I didn't get into Angular because of testing. I got into it because it just worked, and it was really fast to develop in, and it just felt architecturally coherent to me. Uh, you know, I have a feeling that testing had something to do that, with driving that, but it wasn't why I got into it. But I'll agree with you, Joe, that I think discovering how, um, testing in your Angular code is a good thing. My pick, though, would be I've been doing more Gulp recently, and I think that's worth learning. So start looking for resources on that. I know that that John Papa, who is was on this cast, is putting together a course on it, so that may be out in a few months. That'll be worth looking at. I'm sure there are other resources that are worth looking at, but Gulp has really been an eye-opener for me because I'm coming to this front-end development world from the whole .NET world, and I'm sure many of our listeners are, and it's kind of a revelation. And it's also interesting to see that tools like Gulp are finding their way back into the .NET development world uh, as they evolve the ASP.vNext. So it's definitely something worth spending some time learning. Very cool. I'm going to have a pick here, and that is leanpub.com. It is where I'm writing my podcasting book. If you want to uh, check it out, it's leanpub.com slash podcasting. Oddly enough, that wasn't taken. And so, yeah, you can go pick it up. I'm going to have all kinds of information in there, not just technical stuff, but how to grow and monetize your podcast, how to grow your audience, how to record. I mean, you know, so there is some technical stuff in there, but... Uh, a lot of the questions I get are more about kind of the softer skills, the less technical parts of the podcast. So anyway, I'll, I'll be putting all that in there. A lot of it's based on my own experience, but I have talked to a few friends of mine who have been podcasting for a while, and I either answer their questions or use them as case studies in the book. So uh, I'm going to be working on that over the next few weeks. Also, if you go to pickuppodcasting.com, I'll have information there as well as to how to get signed up for the course and you can either pick and choose the sessions you want to go to you can sign up for the entire thing so anyway yeah so that's my pick uh, i don't have a tip this week test your code i guess and uh, we'll wrap this up and we'll catch you all next week this episode is sponsored by mad glory you've been building software for a long time and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming work piles up hiring sucks and it's hard to get projects out the door check out mad glory they're a small shop with experience shipping big products They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit cachefly.com to learn more. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? You want to support the show? Now you can. 
Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today.